Imagine a family gathering, a Christmas Eve party with over 25 friends and family members, all together celebrating, eating, drinking, and laughing. The home is warm and inviting. The smell of food is in the air. Christmas music is playing while the kids run around as the adults catch up. Everyone is enjoying each other's company. And no one could even imagine what was about to happen just before the clock struck midnight. Many would not make it to see Christmas morning. And for those that did, Christmas would forever be changed. This is the Beach House 34 True Crime and Paranormal Podcast. I'm your host, Christine Worth, and this is the story of the Covina Massacre. Bruce Pardo grew up in the San Fernando Valley of California in the 1970s. As a child, he showed he had a pretty good head for math, and after graduating from high school, went to Cal State Northridge to study computer science. He was warm and outgoing. Friends and co-workers considered him exceptionally bright, and he ended up working as a software engineer at the Jet Propulsion Lab in La Cañada, Flintridge. Even though he was bright, he wasn't exactly the most diligent worker. He even once hacked into his employer's computer system to learn his co-workers' salaries, and he tended to come and go as he pleased. At 24, Bruce got engaged, and they had invited over 250 guests to their wedding. Now, Bruce didn't have a lot of money at the time, and he was even still living with his mom. So his soon-to-be bride came up with the cash so that they could have their reception at a country club and make honeymoon reservations in Tahiti. The day of Bruce's wedding came, and as everyone in attendance waited and waited and waited, Bruce never showed. His now ex-bride-to-be discovered that Bruce had taken the last of their money in their joint banking account, all $3,000 of it. She ended up running into him a few weeks later and noticed he was very tan. He evidently had taken this money and spent it all while vacationing, assuming alone, maybe, in Palm Springs. What a great guy, right? God, she really dodged a bullet with that one. She is quoted as saying, whatever he felt like, he did. There was no sense of responsibility. Bruce evidently had enough money, though, to own his own boat, which he kept on Lake Havasu, and he would frequently invite friends to spend the weekend with him on this boat. Now, as he got older, he seemed to mature. Now, note the operative word there, seemed. At 37, he was now living in Woodland Hills with his girlfriend and their 13-month-old son, also named Bruce. Now, Bruce Jr. was at home alone with his dad, who was watching television, and Bruce Jr. accidentally fell into their backyard pool. 
Junior was hospitalized, and Bruce Sr. spent a week by his bedside until he discovered that his son would never fully recover from his injuries. It wasn't long after this that Bruce and his girlfriend split up. The hospital bills from Bruce Jr.'s injury, they topped out at just around $350,000. Now, Bruce's son, he ended up severely brain damaged and a paraplegic as a result of his accident. But even though as sad as that is, Bruce's son never again saw his dad. Now, his girlfriend, she ended up suing him to get money from his homeowner's insurance policy. And of this money that she received, about $36,000 of it or so was put into a trust fund for Bruce's son, who you might imagine needs constant care. This is the only money that Bruce has ever contributed to his son. So three years go by, and Bruce meets Sylvia Orza. Now, Sylvia had three children. Two were grown, and one was just four years old. He fell pretty hard for Sylvia. And in 2006, Sylvia and Bruce were married. Now, while they were married, they also got a dog, an Akita, that everyone, especially Bruce, absolutely loved. A close friend of the family is stated as saying, Bruce almost seemed too good to be true. Bruce embraced Sylvia's three children and took them in as his own. They bought a home in Montrose. This is just 15 miles north of Los Angeles. And Bruce volunteered as an usher for Sunday masses at a church just down the street from them. It really seems as if he's a far cry from the same guy who left his fiance at the altar and abandoned his child, right? Now, Sylvia worked at a flower shop and Bruce was an electrical engineer for a company in Van Nuys making around $122,000 a year. So not bad money. During the first year of their marriage, Bruce, though, seemed to become distant and all of a sudden began to be very stingy with their money. Within a year of being married, the two of them were sleeping apart, although they were still in the same house. Sylvia would head to her parents' house on the weekends so she didn't have to be home alone with her husband. So what happened? What happened to cause what in all respects appeared to be a decent marriage? Well, it could have been that his stinginess with the money was causing the issue. It could have been that since they have gotten married, they had saved up nearly $88,000. But during their marriage... Bruce had started to remove money from the savings account and put it into his own private account. So it could have been this or many other things. But one thing's for sure. Sylvia learned something about her husband, Bruce, something that she deemed unforgivable. Now, while your first thought might be that, hey, he wasn't being faithful or that he had a criminal record, he hadn't told her about It'd be none of this. No, Sylvia found out about Bruce's disabled son, something he had never, ever mentioned to her. Now, before you go thinking that Sylvia was this horrible woman 
and wanted to divorce her husband because of this. That would be the furthest thing from the truth. Sylvia and Bruce's mom had actually grown very close. And just about this same time, Bruce's mom told Sylvia that Bruce had this severely disabled child. And to top it off, he still continued to claim him as a tax deduction, even though he didn't support his son. In 2008, the couple officially separated, but Sylvia wanted to stay in the house until her daughter could at least finish kindergarten. Bruce's answer? While Sylvia was at a niece's birthday party, Bruce took all of her things and put them in the driveway. Sylvia then filed for divorce. Now, after Sylvia had done this, Bruce began to have second thoughts, and he wanted to try and reconcile with Sylvia. But Sylvia, she'd had it. During this time that Sylvia had filed for divorce, Bruce is trying to get back with her. Sylvia doesn't want anything to do with it. Bruce's brother thought that Bruce was depressed, but others around him just thought that he had dealt with the breakup. He never showed any signs of being upset about it. Now, when the divorce proceedings began, Sylvia asked for attorney's fees and $3,166 in monthly spousal support. Bruce argued with the court, saying that he had his own monthly expenses of around $9,000 and also had $31,000 in credit card debt. The court, though, still ordered Bruce to pay Sylvia not what she was asking, but $1,700 a month in support. Now, things for Bruce just went from bad to worse. When he was fired from his $122,000 job, because he had been charging for hours he didn't actually work. Now, because of why he was fired, he received no severance package and he was unable to get any unemployment. He did write Sylvia her first check for that $1,700, but it bounced. He then wrote her a second check, but then before she could even cash it or when she tried to cash it, he had already put a stop payment on this second check. Now, no one knew it at the time, but Bruce, while he put on a really good face, he had snapped and he had decided to put a plan into place. So just before the divorce was finalized, Bruce visited a gun shop and he purchased a nine millimeter Sig Sauer handgun for just under $1,000. He paid cash. He then visited this same gun shop and purchased the same type of gun again in August. He did the same thing in September. So right now, Bruce Pardo is now the owner of three 9mm Sig Sours. This same month in September, he also rented a Santa suit, saying that it was for a children's party. He did have a special request, though. He was a pretty large man. He was six foot four and 275 pounds. He needed to be sure that the suit fit him, so he had it made to order. He also requested a little more room in the suit, and he gave his $200 deposit and would pick it up at a later date. 
Now, during the time that Bruce is out buying all these guns, he is also applying for jobs in the tech industry, but at the time, there weren't very many companies hiring. Bruce then had to go back to court and ask the court to suspend his support payments because of his financial issues. Now, evidently, he was completely embarrassed when his whole personal life, especially financially, was laid out in court. Even his mom would barely speak to him. Then Bruce got a phone call from an old friend in Iowa to come out and celebrate his 45th birthday. And Bruce jumped at the chance. So in October, he flew to Iowa and met up with his old friend and ended up telling him everything about the divorce. He also told him that he had been just sitting at home thinking about everything. While he was visiting his friend in Iowa, though, he purchased 16 handgun magazines, and each magazine holds 18 bullets. Now, whether he knew this or not, these 18-bullet magazines were far larger than what he could purchase in his home state of California, who only allowed sales of 10-bullet magazines. So when Bruce got back, he went and purchased a fourth, a fourth Sig Sauer and went and picked up his Santa suit, paying the extra $100 for the alterations. In December, he made his last visit to the gun shop and purchased his fifth 9mm Sig Sauer. So at this point, Bruce has five guns, a Santa suit, and contained in his backyard shed a compressor, a long hose, and a tank of freaking jet fuel. A week before Christmas, the divorce of Bruce and Sylvia was officially granted. He received the house in the divorce, but he was still ordered to pay Sylvia $10,000. And to add insult to injury, Sylvia was also given ownership of their dog. Now, just before Christmas, Bruce then headed to a travel agency and paid for a round-trip plane ticket to Moline, Illinois. His flight was to leave at 12.20 a.m. Christmas morning and then return two weeks later. The next thing he did, he rented two vehicles, a Dodge Caliber and a Toyota RAV4. In the RAV4, Bruce placed a map of the Southwest United States, as well as Mexico, water, food, clothes, a can of gasoline, and two computers. On Christmas Eve, Bruce then drove the Toyota RAV4 to Glendale and parked it near the home of his wife's divorce attorney. Back at home, Bruce snorted some cocaine and then went and put his next plan into action. So as Bruce is leaving his home, he runs into his neighbor, who happens to be out on his front porch. And Bruce mentions to this neighbor that he's heading to a Christmas party. His neighbor later said he didn't seem like he was mad or anything. But what was strange, his neighbor thought, was that instead of taking one of his own vehicles, his Cadillac Escalade or his Hummer, he instead went and got into a Dodge that was parked on the street. Now, around 10 o'clock that night, 
Bruce's brother actually ended up at Bruce's house because he was there to pick him up. They were supposed to go to a friend's party, but Bruce wasn't there. Bruce also didn't show up to be an usher that night for midnight mass at the church, something he'd signed up to do. Now, at the same time that Bruce is dropping off the Toyota truck in front of his wife's divorce attorney's house and doing all the other things, Sylvia was at her parents' house along with about 25 other relatives, including children. Her parents, 80-year-old Joe and 70-year-old Alicia, always, always have family gatherings at their place for well over the 20 years that they had lived there. And Christmas was especially important to them and their family. They were very well known in their neighborhood. Neighbors would talk about how their family was always together. Brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles. They were always in the house and they had this very large family. One neighbor who had lived in the neighborhood uh, nearly as long as the couple would generally play Santa for the family every year. Their next door neighbor said that they were a big loving family. They always exchanged Christmas gifts every year with the family. And the Orsas would also hand out tamales and cookies every Christmas to their neighbors. Little did this large loving family know the horror that was about to unfold. Around 11 o'clock that night, Christmas Eve night, a Dodge Caliber parked one house away from the Orza's Christmas Eve party. Just before 11.30, there was a knock on the door. The door was answered by an eight-year-old girl, and there, standing on the front porch, was Bruce dressed in a Santa suit. As soon as the door opened, the semi-automatic handguns came out and he started shooting, hitting the eight-year-old girl in the face. Another young girl was shot in the back. Both she and the young girl who was hit in the face survived, thankfully. Many other family members, however, did not, as Bruce just shot indiscriminately within the home. The family and friends at the party were in a panic. Some of them broke out windows to escape. They hid behind furniture or they ran upstairs to get away. One woman who had been upstairs jumped, jumped from a second story window and ended up breaking her ankle in the fall. Some police reports even state that Bruce had walked in and stood over some of the victims and shot them execution style. The gunfire wasn't all that this evil Santa had planned, however. Once he was finished with the bullets, he made his way back out to the porch to grab something wrapped as a Christmas gift. This Christmas gift contained a fuel spraying device and was connected to two pressurized tanks. One tank held jet fuel and the other one held pressurized gas. Within seconds of spraying the house with the concoction, it went up in flames. Now, initially, it was believed that Bruce had actually intended to ignite the fire himself, but something went wrong 
and it ignited as soon as it hit an open flame. Then, an explosion. According to police, once you mix those two together, it turns into a vapor, which he then atomized the house with. Something as small as a pilot light or a candle would be enough to ignite the mixture. In this case, it was a fireplace that was going inside the home that ignited this mixture far sooner than Bruce had expected it to. A neighbor who lived on the backside of the Orza home heard this loud explosion. So when he looked outside, all he saw were tall flames coming from the home. As he ran out to his backyard to see what was happening, three girls were trying to climb over the back fence into his yard. One of the girls told him, there's some guy shooting in there. And another girl told him that a guy dressed as Santa started shooting. The neighbor said it only took about 20 seconds for the entire house to be engulfed in flames. Now, another neighbor not too far from the Orses saw another three people escape from the home, including the one who had jumped out the window and broken her ankle. She, this neighbor, went and gathered them up and they all ran into another neighbor's house. While at the neighbor's, 911 calls were made. And it was during this 911 call that the police learned that this man dressed as Santa was in fact Sylvia's estranged husband, Bruce Pardo. Meanwhile, Bruce is nowhere to be seen. Firefighters raced to the scene and found the house engulfed in flames. As a neighbor watched, she did see a blue car drive away with its headlights off. A Santa cap and a pair of fake sunglasses had been dropped in the yard. Bruce headed to his brother's house in Silmar, about 40 miles away from the scene. Bruce's brother himself didn't even get home to his house until around 3 o'clock in the morning. And when he did, he found his brother in the middle of his living room couch with two guns next to him. He had shot himself in the mouth. That... $17,000 that he still had in his savings account. You remember that him and Sylvia had saved up this $88,000 and he'd been pilfering it, putting it into his own personal account. What was left in their savings account was around $17,000. And this money was strapped to Bruce's leg inside some saran wrap. Inside one of Bruce's shoes was a printout for a ticket on a Northwest Airlines flight to Moline, Illinois. So, why didn't Bruce leave on the flight? Well, it turned out that he had really miscalculated this spray from the canisters, and some of it ended up exploding prematurely. And what happened is it got on the Santa suit, which began to melt to his skin as the fire began. Bruce had suffered third-degree burns to both of his arms. So I guess you could say instant karma, right? Evidently, not knowing what else to do, he simply chose to do himself in. After the fire, you could see the address plate of the home, along with charred Christmas lights hanging from the front door. The heat from this fire had been so intense that lawn ornaments burned and melted. 
while ash from the fire covered the entire front yard. The police did investigate. They found two handguns in the ruins. Uh, bodies were also found in the ruins, but they were so badly burnt that dental records were needed to identify the deceased. Additionally, at Bruce's brother's house, they also recovered another two handguns and they also located the keys to the rental car that Bruce had used to escape him. Now, after police looked at the vehicle that Bruce had driven to the Orzas, they realized that a portion of the Santa suit that was still in the car had actually been booby-trapped. The suit had a device that was hooked to a tripwire that would ignite a flare inside the car. The car was also loaded with several hundred rounds of ammunition. The bomb squad was then called. And remember, Bruce had driven this to his brother's house. This vehicle later exploded outside of his brother's home. No one was injured, thank God. And the second vehicle, the Toyota that was sitting outside of Sylvia's attorney's house, it too was located and the bomb squad was immediately called to the scene. Now, no explosives were found in that vehicle, but they did find a can of gasoline, the water bottles, the food, the two computers, and those two maps. It didn't appear, though, as if it was meant to explode like the other vehicle. It was assumed by the police that Bruce actually intended to head to this vehicle which was parked outside the attorney's house after he was done at Sylvia's parents' home. But the burns that he suffered from the fire gave him other plans. When it was all said and done, 13 children were now without parents and nine members of the Orsa family had been killed. This included Sylvia, her parents, her two brothers and their wives, her sister, and her 17-year-old nephew. As you might imagine, people in the community were absolutely shocked and horrified. And not long after the fire had been put out at the Orza home, a stream of visitors drove by to look at this now burned out shell of what used to be a happy and joyous home for a very large family that even included their neighbors and friends. So let's talk about this for a second. It would be easy to say that Bruce simply snapped, wouldn't it? At least that's what I thought until I learned more about the guy and his pattern of behavior. It was clear from a young age when he decided to hack into his employer's systems and look at salaries that he didn't have much of a regard for the well-being of others. Of course, this is tame when you consider that he was neglectful of his son, who ended up falling into the family pool, and when he realized that his son would be severely damaged from this for the rest of his life, he just took off. Then we have the case where he was then going to get married, and he had his fiance pay for everything, only to leave her at the altar, and then then steal money from their personal account to take a vacation on his own. His disregard for others is a pattern shown throughout his entire life. But this escalation 
to killing several people and then setting the house on fire takes it to a whole other level. This progression is a severe escalation in behavior. But it didn't appear that no one really held him accountable until he was at least fired from that one job. You know, he had plans to get out of California after this incident and had obviously planned it well in advance. So I wonder if he just felt as if he'd gotten away with so much for so long that he thought that he would get away with this too. We will never know the true answer as to why his actions escalated so quickly. And quite frankly, does it really matter? People whose lives didn't deserve to be taken were taken by someone who had no regard for them whatsoever. He wanted revenge and he felt that, hey, I am not only going to get my ex-wife, but I am going to bring her entire family into this too. Think for a minute of all of those people that were involved in having to deal with this and the aftermath. Christmas Day for them, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, just the whole Christmas season will never, ever, ever be the same for these people, ever. And think of all the children that he affected. I sure hope that they have found some way to deal with this and deal with these actions of this incredibly selfish, selfish man. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. You are all so appreciated. More than you know, I will be back very soon with another episode.